0: This is the Morning Rush.
1: Coming up on today's show, we'll look at last night's action in high school hoops. And there was actually uh, some action in high school hoops. Our breakdown of the NCAA tournament continues as we look at the East region today. We have some more moving and shaking in NFL free agency. Washington busy again. I like What Washington is doing this offseason so far. The Deshaun Watson saga in Houston just got messier. And later this hour, we will hear from West Virginia head coach Bob Huggins, who held a Zoom presser yesterday as the Mountaineers are living life in the NCAA bubble, uh, getting ready to kick off the tournament tomorrow. Of course, Tournament really technically kicks off tonight with the four first four games, which you can hear right here. Oh, by the way, beginning at five o'clock. Anyway, all that stuff and more coming up in the next two hours of the morning rush. Good morning to you. How the heck are you? So glad to have you on board. So glad you could take some time to tune in and hang out as we kick off yet another essential work day. Several ways to get involved on the show, as always. Hit me up on Twitter, at ESPN Morning Rush, or at Rush Tony C. Also, our Facebook page, at Cumberland's ESPN Radio. Like them pages, if you would be so kind as to do so. Favorite them, follow them, whatever the kids are doing these days. And at any time, not just during the show, but whenever, throughout the day, if a throat a, a throt, yeah. If a throt crosses your mind, is that a word? If a thought crosses your mind, feel free to drop me a line at ESPN Morning Rush at Rush Tony C, Facebook at Cumberland's ESPN Radio. Questions, comments, opinions, whatever. It's there just for you. Also taking your calls on the rush line 301-759-2628. Your chance to dial and dance on this thirsty Thursday morning. 301-759-2628. And of course, our podcast page on the Free PodBean app where we upload every show every day minus commercials or, you know, every day that there is actually uh, a show. So several ways to get involved. If you say that you can't get involved on the show, then uh, you're lying or you're just not trying hard enough because it's all right there for you. All right, Uh, what do you say we kick off today's shows? We kick off every show with the rock around the region. I want to rock! And we start with girls' high school basketball where Maria Perdue did it again. 30 points to lead Frankfurt to a 66-38 win over Preston in short gap. Haley Smith had 18 points and 7 assists for the Falcons. And I'm I'm telling you right now, I know it's a short season. It's a different season. It's a crazy season in West Virginia. I would assume, although, you know, it's not safe to assume anything these days. I would assume if the season comes to completion with sectionals, regionals, state tournament, that there would still be the All-State teams. Right? Right? In basketball, boys and girls. Uh, I'm gonna go out on a limb right now, if you know, if I can find a limb that would actually hold me. Marie Perdue, if she's not a first team all-state selection this season, I'm calling for an investigation. I'm calling for <laughs> some drug testing. Whoever votes, she I mean what she's doing every every time we talk about her, it, it's 25 points here, 28 points here. 30 points, 32, 34. Allegheny County isn't even playing this year. Even if they were, Marie's got to be the player of the in the area's top player. Like who, who's better right now? Who's better? Seriously. And that's no disrespect to any other girls out there who are busting, you know, their rear ends, playing ball and doing good things. But every time you turn around, Marie is just Lighten it up. And I'm look, I'm not a Frankfurt Homer. Don't accuse me of that. Although I kinda am, but not in this case. What she's doing is pretty it's pretty outstanding in the most unusual of seasons. If I had a vote, which I don't, but if I did, she's got to be a first team all-state selection in double A. She has to be. All right, elsewhere in Girls Hoops last night, Jefferson had a very little trouble with Hedgesville 57 uh, to 14. On the boys side, Jefferson completed the Hedgesville sweep 67-48. Martinsburg blew out Spring Mills 64-26. And it was Musselman 53, Washington 40. The Petersburg at Berkeley Springs game uh, was postponed. Now, tonight in boys' action, Frankfurt travels to take on Preston. That was not an originally scheduled game, but both uh, teams, both schools, lost games this week, so they decided to get together and play way up on the mountain uh, this evening. Petersburg is scheduled to host Tucker County. Hampshire is at Trinity, and uh, Pendleton County is at Harmon. The Moorfield-East Hardy game postponed. The girls' game between those same two schools also uh, postponed. In other girls' a scheduled action, Union is at Pendleton County, Hedgesville is hosting Hampshire, and Tucker County is hosting Philip Barber. In local college hoops, DeMonte Brown came off the bench to score a game-high 20 points to lead Garrett College over Potomac State 89-73 in Kaiser. Malik Whitaker had 17 points for the Lakers, who, oh, by the way, Moved up to number eight in this week's NJCAA Division II poll. In the NBA last night, the Wizards and Kings went down to the wire in D.C. With three seconds, stops, fires. He's got the bucket,
2: seven-tenths of a second to go. A 20-footer on the left wing from De'Aaron Fox. It may be enough. It gives the Kings a two-point lead at
1: 121-119. Uh, It was enough, the call on KHTK. Sacramento edged Washington, 121-119. Russell Westbrook, his 12th triple-double of the season for the Wiz. 26 points, 14 rebounds, 10 assists. Uh, Didn't matter. Washington now 0-5 since the All-Star break. In Major League Baseball spring training action, the Orioles beat the Braves 5-2. Austin Hayes, 3 for 3 with a two run double for the O's. Uh, Pirates lost to the Rays 10 9. Brian Reynolds and Colin Moran homeward for the Bucks. Nationals were off yesterday. Uh, they will take on the Mets today at 110. Bucks and O's uh, both have a day off. And on the ice tonight, the Penguins will take on the Devils for the first time this season uh, when they hook up in New Jersey. And that is your Rock Around the Region brought to you by the Caporale Group. I don't know what's going on anymore with high school basketball. It is, it's starting to turn into a little bit of a mess because it's hard to tell who's playing anymore and who isn't. And it, it all just really seemed to come out of nowhere. I mean, I, we expected some postponements, we expected some issues. But it seemed like the first couple of weeks of the season were just going on rather, you know, business as usual. And then all of a sudden, just this avalanche of these schools and these teams being quarantined and games having to be postponed. And It's crazy. It's hard. It's really hard to keep track of who played, who didn't play, who's not on the schedule, now who's not on the schedule. Who knows when Hardy County Schools are ever going to play again? Because we talked about that yesterday. They are now in the red on the map, so East Hardy and Moorfield shut down until further notice. And who knows if they can make any of these games up? Like if they're off for a an extended period of time, how many games are they going to get in? How many games are they actually going to be able to make up and reschedule? You would think first priority would be the sectional games. Because uh, Moorfield was scheduled to play Frankfurt tomorrow, which was a sectional game. Well, that game's off, which is why Frankfurt picked up Preston uh, tonight. They've already had a game against Petersburg called off. So it could be it could be one week, it could be two weeks, it it could be the rest of the season. As far as we know, <laughs> I'm so tired of this. I'm so tired of this. As is everybody. It it, it truly does. It, it it is. It's on my last nerve. Let's put it that way. I was going to say something else, but I might get fired for it. it it's just on my last nerve. Anyway. Uh, let's start off today, or let's continue. Let's just keep. Let's just move on to something else. How about that? Uh, Washington, the fighting Riveras, stayed busy in free agency yesterday, signing former Panthers receiver Curtis Samuel to a three-year deal worth thirty-four and a half million bones. Now Carolina took Samuel uh, in the second round of the 2017 draft out of Ohio State. Last season, the man did it all for Carolina. He caught a career-best 77 passes for 851 yards. He also carried the ball 41 times for 200 yards. He was used as one of the replacements uh, for the injured uh, Christian McCaffrey. Samuel was a running back originally at Ohio State. And so he's a very versatile individual. He led all NFL receivers last season with a catch rate of 79.4%, which was well ahead of his 56.3% rate over the first three years of his career. And look, Samuel can flat out fly. He ran the 40 in 4.31 seconds. At the uh, 2017 Combine. And when you pair him up with current Washington receiver Terry McLaurin, another Ohio State product, they were both, as a matter of fact, in the 2014 recruiting class at Ohio State. McLaurin ran a 4.3540. So you got a 4.35 and a 4.31. Washington suddenly has got some speed to burn at receiver. And the funny part is, Washington tried to trade for Samuel last season, but the person who kept on blocking the trade at Carolina is now working in Washington. Here's ESPN Washington reporter John Kime. Washington coach Ron Rivera first approached Carolina last summer about trading for one of his former players, Curtis Samuel. Rivera continued that quest up until the trade deadline, Ironically, the guy who kept telling him no was Panthers GM Marty Herney, who is now in Washington's front office. But it worked out well for Rivera because he got Samuel and all he had to do was give up money. But Rivera knows what Samuel adds. A versatile player with speed who can take attention away from receiver Terry McLaurin. And that speed is what Washington coveted most. Washington still needs a starting left tackle and another pass-catching threat at tight end opposite Logan Thomas. But with the addition of quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick and now Samuel, Washington's offense should be much improved. That story is funny. Not funny ha-ha, but funny just kind of messed up. Because, and really it all worked out for Washington. Because if they would have traded for Samuel last year, if Herney didn't keep on blocking the trade, then Washington would have given up, you know, draft picks, players, whatever. But now that Herney is in Washington, he's like, "Oh, okay, we can we can go get him." <laughs> Wouldn't give him up in Carolina, but now he's like, "Hey, okay, bring him over." And like John said, all they had to do was pay him a contract. They didn't have to lose any players. Didn't have to lose any draft picks with the trade. So it eventually all worked out for Washington. And you had to expect Washington to use Samuel primarily as a receiver, but I guarantee it, he's going to line up in the backfield as well. He's going to be a nice complement to Anten uh and uh, uh, yeah, what's his name? <laughs> Antonio Gibson. It's my name in Spanish, I should know that. JD McKissick and whoever else they have in the backfield this year. Over his uh four NFL seasons, Samuel has 478 yards rushing and five rushing touchdowns. He could do it all. He, like as I said, he's a very versatile individual. And so this is another solid pickup for Washington. Another speedster for Ryan Fitzpatrick or whoever's quarterback in this year. And that Washington offense. And I I I I said it yesterday when we were talking about Washington picking up uh, William Jackson III, third, the cornerback from Cincinnati. I really, really like what Washington is doing so far in free agency. Now, look, they are a long ways away from being, you know, an 11-12 win team. But if they can address the issues that John Kime mentioned in that little clip I played, you know, left tackle, uh, a decent tight end, another decent tight end, whether they do it in the draft or they or they bring somebody else over free agency, I think they could be the favorite to win the, the East again. They may already They may already be. Because the Giants are still a mess. The Eagles have no idea what they're doing. The Cowboys did get better by signing Dak Prescott, assuming he's back 100% from injury. But as I said yesterday, the Cowboys' defense is in shambles. So I wouldn't even say right now, March 18th. And, of course, it all depends on what happens in the draft and whatever happens else in free agency. Washington could very well be the favorite. Now, (laughs) forget about training camp. And the start of the season, now they could be the favorite to uh, repeat as NFC East Champions. Who would have thought that? Who would have thunk it? But I like what they're doing. They're not making a ton of moves like the Patriots, who we'll talk about here later. You know, but they're making solid quality moves. When we talk about free agency, and, and you Washington fans, you learned a hard way years ago when Daniel Schneider was signing everybody under the sun. He even signed me to a one-year deal. No, he didn't. I'm just kidding. Quantity doesn't always equate to quality, right? Just because you go out and sign a bunch of free agents doesn't mean you're going to be successful. It's the quality of those pickups. And I think right now with Washington, bringing in old Fitzmagic, getting William Jackson to, you know, bolster that secondary, bringing in a guy like Curtis Samuel, they're not earth-shattering moves, you know what I mean? They're not, you know, groundbreaking moves, but they're solid. They're just what Washington needs to take that next step up, maybe have a winning record next year. So I like what Washington's doing. I, I, I right now have them in the lead in the East. Again, I know it's early. We still have a long way to go. Free agency just got started. We had the draft coming up in April, then training camp. I know, it's a long ways off. But so far, I like it. We had some other free agency wheelings and dealings yesterday. We'll run down that list. A lot of veterans uh, changing addresses. And so far, the question of the free agency period, who's doing better, the Patriots or the Buccaneers? We'll examine that next. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio.
0: This is the morning rush.
1: I am way too close with his microphone.
0: Jeez.
3: Back off, pal.
1: 301-759-2628. I see uh, Bishop Walsh is back in action tonight. The Spartans hosting Scotland Campus. I have no idea what that is or who that is. What is what is a Scotland Campus? I feel like I've seen them before somewhere but I'm not exactly sure where. I want to say I saw them up at Garrett College during a uh, like a middle school tournament that I was coaching in but they were there playing somebody else. I'll have to do some research on that to see exactly what Scotland campus is. Whatever it is, uh, they're at Bishop Walsh tonight. Uh, No fans in attendance because, you know, uh, COVID. So we're talking NFL free agency. Washington making another solid move, uh, picking up receiver Curtis Samuel from uh, the Carolina Panthers yesterday. If you're a Washington fan, do you like what they've done so far in this free agency period? I, I love it, what they've done so far with Fitzpatrick and Samuel and William Jackson. I don't know if they're tapped out, if they plan on making more moves, but so far so good uh, for Washington. So if you're a Washington fan, you like what they're doing, or maybe you don't, give us a call 301 759 uh, two six two eight. In other free agency wheeling and dealing yesterday, uh, veteran cornerback Patrick Peterson's on the move. Uh, he left the Cardinals to sign a one-year deal with the Vikings. Now the Cards uh, lose him, but they pick up a player. They signed veteran receiver AJ Green, long time a Cincy Bengal. He's now a Cardinal. He signs a one-year deal that could be worth up to eight and a half million bucks. Green, obviously not the receiver he used to be. Been in the league for 10 years. He'll be 33 uh, when this season begins. But here's the kicker. If if, if for nothing else but name recognition only. If Larry Fitzgerald decides to come back, which he hasn't made a decision yet, if he decides to come back for another season, uh, Kyler Murray will have DeAndre Hopkins, A.J. Green, and Larry Fitz to throw to this season. (laughs) That's amazing. If Hopkins, if his career continues on this upward trend, he's going to be a Hall of Famer. A.J. Green may be a Hall of Famer. Larry Fitzgerald is definitely a Hall of Famer. That's a heck of a receiving core. Again, because Larry Fitz is on his last leg, he might even come back. A.J. Green, I don't know what he has left. He's always hurt, it seems like, the past couple of years. But still, that's pretty impressive to have those three names in your uh, receiving court. Uh, Cardinals also signed, by the way, kicker Matt Prater to a two-year deal. The Chiefs, uh, they signed former Bears uh, Pro Bowl guard Kyle Long to a one-year deal after Long came out of retirement this season, this offseason. And the Patriots, they're busy again. Uh, They have been reunited with linebacker Kyle Van Noy, who was released by the Dolphins last week. Dolphins tried to trade him, got no takers, so they cut him loose. And uh, Van Noy, he played four seasons for New England before signing with Miami. He signed a four-year deal with the Dolphins, but they released him after just one. So now he's back with the Pats, who have been extremely busy since free agency kicked off on Monday. And if you've been following along, the Patriots, uh, they signed not one but two tight ends, a receiver, a couple defenders. They're getting Patrick Chung back because remember he sat out last season. The Buccaneers, they're keeping their players. Chris Godwin's coming back. Gronk's coming back. Shaq Barrett's coming back. So it almost seems like, because now we have that constant link between the the Patriots and the Buccaneers, you know, Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. And right now it just seems like like there's a contest between the Pats and the Bucs. Who can make the most moves or make the biggest splashes in free agency? New England, bringing in a bunch of new faces. Bucks they're keeping a lot of key players who helped them win the championship last year. So to this point... The guys at PTI discuss uh, who's had the better offseason.
2: Okay, Wilbon, who's had the better NFL free agency period so far, the Patriots or the Bucks?
1: Tony, you can make the case
4: either way. I'll go with the Patriots. Um, it's just sort of, you know, catchy. The number of people the Patriots signed right off the bat in the free agency, period. Anyways, anytime. Bill Belichick said, we're not going to be bad like that again anymore and miss the playoffs. So you can start with Cam Newton, of course. A lot of people thought he was a one-and-done in New England. He's not. You've got Hunter Henry and John U. Smith to tie end. in. He goes out and gets receivers. I don't know if Newton can get the ball to him, Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne. But also... Their are linemen and linebackers and safeties and people in every area that Bill Belichick thought the team was deficient. From Trent Brown back on the offensive line to Dante Hightower in the middle of that defense to Patrick Chung at safety. Matthew Judon, they stole from Baltimore. He can rush the passer. So everywhere that Belichick looked, and they got money. And I don't want to hear anybody with analysis of the money. Who cares? They're loaded. And they've done this, and I'd say New England has a pretty damn good free agency period already if they don't sign anybody else.
2: Yeah, I'm going to step back for a second and look at the overarching question here because once again for the second year it is this who's doing better Tom Brady or Bill Belichick that's what this question is about you're 100% right Bill Belichick is plugging holes and bringing in new people because his team lost last year much to everybody's surprise he doesn't want it to happen again he's doing a really good job but For the most part, these are new guys playing positions on a new team. What Tampa Bay did with a winning team, a Super Bowl winning team, is they identified the most important people. They got Tom Brady to take less money and free up cap room. They keep Gronkowski. They keep Shaq Barrett. They keep Godwin. Then they are already a winning team. So if I'm forced to pick, I would say that is a little bit more impressive. But I step back and I say to myself, this is so great. One more year of Brady and Belichick.
1: Was anybody really surprised the Patriots lost last year? I mean, if you really paid attention to that roster, was it really that shocking? I know, oh, the great Bill Belichick and he can win with anybody, but not, you still need, you still need the Jimmys and the Joes, right? Cam Newton had a bad year. Dante Hightower and Patrick Chung both opted out. No offensive weapons to speak of. I mean, was it really, was it that shocking? And oh, by the way, they lost Tom Brady. So it should have been that surprising that the Patriots had a losing season or they lost a lot of games last year. I mean, what did they finish last year, 7-9, something like that? Now, if they're going to rebound, they're bringing all these players in. They are, as uh, Tony said right there, plugging the holes that need field. But for any of it to work, Cam Newton's got to be better. Right? You got to have the quarterback play in the NFL. You have to. And he'll certainly have a better supporting cast than he did last year. And he's got to make it work. Because, you know, Freddie Coleman says this year, unlike last year, there's actually going to be pressure on Cam to
3: produce. Cam Newton to me did not have any pressure last year. Oh, Freddie, how can you say that? Replacing Tom Brady? Uh, Do you really want to be the first dude replacing Tom Brady? After 20 years and six NFL championships, do you really want to be that guy? No matter what you do, it's never going to measure up. So it was not any pressure. But this year, uh uh it's different. Cam Newton now has that pressure because Bill Belichick said, I believe in you. Josh Downs, the offensive coordinator, said, Cam Newton, we still believe in you. We're going to keep hope alive. That's how they feel right now about Cam Newton bringing him back. And they got guys to surround him from that standpoint. But can he do it? And right now, I don't have an answer. But this may be that final make-or-break year for him. If he's not able to work with New England, with the dudes that they have signed, the two tight ends and also the two wide receivers, if he can't do it, Cam Newton is never going to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. If Bill Belichick did all this, spent all this money on offense, and they go 7-9 and nine and 8-8 eight and eight and miss the playoffs, that's it for Cam Newton in the National Football League in terms of being a starting quarterback. Right now, in terms of the offseason, to me, Brady is still winning without the Pats compared to Belichick winning without him. I know he made all those signings, uh, but the guy that has the championship belt is the guy who played for Bill Belichick, and that's Tom Brady. And guys are staying in Tampa Bay because they know how special that is. And when that special comes around, and you don't know when it's going to happen, but when it does, you don't want to go somewhere else to try to make another special situation happen. Not going to happen. Guys are going to stay with him. And Bill Belichick knew it. And he said, well, I know I'm not going to any of those guys, so I'm going to make sure things are better year two. two after Tom Brady. I got to go out there and get some guys to make sure we are not playoff-less again like we were in 2020. So, yeah, Belichick made some strides. The Pages made some strides. But right now, it's still Tom Brady's world. And whether Bill Belichick likes it or not, for the first time ever, Bill Belichick is just living in it. Oh, don't you love it? Don't you just love it? <laughs>
1: If you're not a Patriots fan, don't you just love the fact that Bill Belichick suffered last season after 20 years of dominance? Make-or-break season for Cam Newton, for sure. His career on the line. You'd have to figure. All right, when we come back, we'll switch gears. College hoops. We're going to break down the East region next hour. Coming up next, we'll hear from Mountaineer head coach Bob Huggins. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's. ESPN Radio.
0: This is the morning rush.
1: NCAA tournament kicking off tonight. The four first four games. All the teams in Indianapolis, uh, the Mountaineers of West Virginia arriving on Monday in the bubble. Yesterday, uh, NCAA Senior Vice President of Basketball Dan Gabbett said all 68 teams are good to go. For the big dance. Now, whether, you know, (laughs) they'll all get to play is another story. But West Virginia getting ready to take on Moorhead State tomorrow night at 9.50. And yesterday, head coach Bob Huggins had a Zoom presser talking with the media about what it's like to, you know, to be in the bubble in Indy. And a little bit about Moorhead State. Lack of experience so far. Mountaineers only have one player. Who, have ever, who has ever played in the NCAA tournament, Gabe Osaboyan was in for one minute when he was with still with Arkansas before he transferred back in 2018. That's it. That's the only experience they have in the NCAA tournament. So here is a part of yesterday's press conference with uh, West Virginia head coach Bob Huggins.
4: Huggins, i curious curious um, how you've approached it with these guys having all this downtime by themselves. I, I understand their, their protocols basically confine them to their rooms unless you're with them. Um, how have you dealt with that? And then the second part of that is um, you, you don't need a, a, a curfew with the bubble, but I'm sure with some of your teams in the past, you probably could, could have helped you some of
5: that. I guess. Yes. And no, I, I don't, you know, I, I think they've been fine. Uh, I think the, the hardest was yesterday when you had to stay in your own room and you couldn't fraternize with, with any of your teammates and, uh, I think going to practice last night really helped get guys, good guys together. And now that they're allowed to be ar- around each other a little bit more, uh, it's, it's been fine.
2: Kind of a question here off the game. Uh, there, there's two coaches who grew up in Morgantown in the NCAA tournament this year. Obviously you, I was wondering if you knew Zach Spiker, if you'd ever run, run across this path before uh, he's coaching Drexel against Illinois he's on, on Friday, just uh Kind of thought it was interesting, two Morgantown guys coaching in the uh, NCAA tournament.
5: Well, his father was our trainer. I think it was my senior year, so I knew I knew uh, big Spike um, pretty well, I, but I didn't know Zach.
4: So, Bob, now that you are in the bubble, what do you think of the bubble that the NCAA has put together? Um, you know, good stuff, bad stuff that you are
5: you are witnessing. I mean, it is what it is. I mean, I don't know, I don't know what else they they would do. You know they're they're going to be some there's going to be some positives when you put this many people together. I would assume they're 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 trying the best they can they, they possibly can. I think letting teams go get out and practice yesterday was was a big step uh, in getting those guys back to a little bit of normalcy.
4: Hey, coach. Um, a couple of weeks ago you talked about how lucky you were as a young coach to be around guys like Bob Knight, and I'm just thinking Friday's game might be like that for uh. Coach Spradlin, I'm just wondering how you feel now that you're kind of on the other side of that scenario.
5: I really don't think about it. To be honest with you, uh, Deuce came in and said he just ran into Roy Williams, and Roy said hi. You know, uh, I don't. I've coached against you know virtually everybody. You, know, you coach as many games as I have. I've coached against. I don't know. You know, you guys think I think about things a lot, a lot more than I actually do. I, I kind of. I kind of uh, have decided that you know, in my old age, that I'm gonna I'm gonna try to enjoy this as, as much as I possibly can. And I, I love being around our guys. I love being around our staff. So I don't I don't really need a whole lot more. Uh, with so many
4: challenges this season, uh, among them was Oscar's departure. How how were you able to adapt the roster and react to that and keep this team on a path to the NCAA tournament? And has there been a player or a combination that's kept it going?
5: Well, I think the 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 reality the reality is is when Oscar left, we became uh, a much better offensive team because we could we could spread people. I think the challenge was when we had Derek and Oscar uh, both. It we we kind of it seemed like at times ran out of room, and being able to spread people and and I think Deuce said it. Probably as well as it can be said, JB came in, did a great job of making shots and giving us somebody else who who they couldn't sag off of, who they couldn't double team Derek with, uh, or or whomever our post guy was at that time. So you know, I think in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, it was a help. I think what hurt us was when Isaiah got hurt, because Isaiah' is a six, ten, six, eleven guy who who can make shots. We didn't have – we when we had those two post guys, neither one of them could make a shot from the perimeter. Now, JB could make a shot. Isaiah could have made a shot, and, and I think that really hurt us because he – and he can pass the ball. You know, we, those those guys are not our, our, our best passers. Obviously, Derek was a little bit better passer, but it, it changed the way we play, but I think it changed the way we play for a positive as a positive, and that's not certainly a knock on anybody. I just think we're we're a better basketball team now, and I think if we had Isaiah, which gives us another big and, and somebody who's more of a factor around the rim, um, that's what hurt us. That that that's that's the biggest thing that that uh, I think affected us this season was him getting hurt.
4: Hey Bob, I kind of wanted to piggyback on something you just said about kind of really making sure you enjoy this thing. Now I'm assuming that maybe wasn't always the case when you were a younger coach getting into these tournaments, just how has that perspective kind of evolved over the years and over your career and what kind of mentality do you bring into it now? That's maybe different than it was
0: then.
5: Well, my first NCAA tournament, I was at Akron and we played uh, Michigan who was the number one ranked team in the country all year. And, and my center was a six foot uh, football player who uh, I watched for two years. Was the last one cut by the Steelers? Two years, two consecutive years, and I'm rooting like heck for him because I want him to to make an NFL team. But at the same time, I also want him to come back and be my center. Uh, so you know that was you know you you kind of after that game's over with, and that was that was Gary Grant and Tarpley and Joe Bear and that whole group that they had, which was a great great group, and we end up losing by four. And really had a chance, I thought, until you know at the end we just they were just so talented. But we lose by four, and you know now you go out there and you say how do you, how do you ever win? You know how how am I ever supposed to win when other people have teams like that? And then my first year at Cincinnati not not my first year at Cincinnati, but my first year with when we actually could go out and recruit. And and get guys, and that was that was Eric Martin and Corey Blunt and Nick Van Excellence and, and Herb Jones and so forth and so on. The first time those guys were in the NCAA tournament, we went to the Final Four. So now you start looking around, saying maybe we can do this. You know, I've had some uh, terrible disappointments, and I've also had some uh, some great wins that other people didn't think were possible. I guess when you do it, as long as a lot of us have done it, you're going to have ups and downs. My, my biggest my biggest regret is that, is that when we were the best team in the country and Kenyon Martin broke his leg for those guys, and, and, and particularly for Kenyon, and the same thing with Day. You know, when, when Day went down in the Final Four, I mean, we had no chance after that. And and just because of the emotion that obviously our guys were faced with, and, and the same thing happened in Cincinnati with Kenyon. So th- those are the things that, that I think really uh, have bothered me more than anything is that those guys didn't have an opportunity to fulfill their dreams.
3: Um, now that you've probably had some time to look at Moorhead State, I don't think you had that liberty yet on Sunday when we talked to you. Well, um, what do you see from them defensively where they have some pretty impressive rankings and then offensively where, you know, effective, but don't play with a lot of tempo and seem like they have a ton of turnovers too?
5: Well, I think, I think defensively, Mike, it's, it's it's not pack line, but it certainly has uh, a pack line likeness. You know, when you catch the ball, you have to understand you got ten eyes on you. Uh, they're 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 gonna they're gonna guard the guy with the ball uh, and, and really gap everything. Try to try not to give up any penetration. Try to make them shoot the ball over top of you. You know, we've got to do a good job of moving them. Uh, hopefully, we can get them spread with. The number of people we're going to put on the floor who can, who conceivably can make shots. Um, we've got hopefully an advantage with Derek against a guy who's very, very talented, but he's a freshman. So, um, I mean, we got to, we got to accentuate our positives and, and try to stay away from our negatives. Coach so Huggins, 10 years ago, Moorhead upset Rick Pitino and Louisville in the NCAA. You had a similar experience with Stephen F. Austin,
2: have you changed anything in preparation to avoid something like this happening?
5: Well, th- I mean, this is entirely different. Uh, with with the bubble, uh, I think probably we have we have a little bit more control than than what you had with the Stephen F. Austin thing. I, I don't know. I don't know what we would have changed. I mean, you know, generally, whenever something like that happens, you have an an idea of what you would like to have done better. We told those guys and told those guys and told those guys, and we showed them film after film after film about how good they were, how well they ran their offense. Uh, if it didn't do any good, you know, they just they just felt like that. Uh, I think they were going to win regardless, and, and obviously they they jumped up and hit a square in the mouth, and we didn't respond very well. But this is an entirely different group. This is, this is not, not the same group. So I don't – I think every group's different. I think you, you, you try to accentuate the positive and stay away from the negative. I think that's, that's – it's not basketball. That's life.
4: Hey, Coach, uh, I was just curious about, you know, with the roster shakeup that you had a little bit uh, toward the midpoint of the season, kind of, do you think that lit kind of a fire under Deuce to kind of, you know, take a little more of an initiative say, hey, you know, I can be
5: a focal point, a leader of this team? No, I think if you lit any more fire underneath the Deuce, you'd have a force fire. Deuce doesn't need, Deuce doesn't need lit up. Uh, he's a guy who comes in every day and works. He's a guy who spends countless hours on his own working working on his game. Uh, Deuce doesn't need the motivation of, of somebody transferring out to to uh, play harder or work harder. I don't know that you can you can he could do any better at either area.
4: Got to ask you this hugs. I don't know if you this was passed along to you, but ESPN.com ranked all of the coaches from last to first among as players. The a disappointed
5: tournament. I was ninth, John. Well, I was going to ask that you, you were nine.
4: Was that on the money or was that a little low?
5: No, uh, that was probably – that's probably pretty close. Probably pretty close.
2: Bob, you mentioned you thought, you know, Derek and and their big Joni Broom, I think, uh, you know, would be a pretty good matchup. What do you see, particularly uh, his last game? I think he had 27 points and double-figure
1: rebounds. Obviously, Bradlin said earlier this week he thought they played through their big a little bit more than West Virginia plays through Culver. So I just kind of curious how you saw that matchup and how important each of those guys.
5: That's why I laugh sitting behind a desk now, not on a bench. He reminds me of Chris Bosch. He's got that kind of that, that push shot that he gets away very quickly. He's he's uh, he shares the ball in the post, which is important. Uh, so he doesn't get gang guarded as much because he is such a good passer. Uh you know, you hope that you hope that Derek's experience and and certainly Derek's physicality would uh, bode well for for Derek and for us.
1: All right, so there you go, Bob Huggins, a part of his press conference from yesterday. A lot of good stuff right there. How was he the ninth ranked coach in the tournament this year? He should be a Hall of Famer. How was he number nine? I don't understand that. Anyway, I don't make those decisions. <laughs> All right, hour number one in the books. When we come back, we will continue with uh, some college hoops talk as we break down yet another region. We've already gone through the south and the west regions. When we come back, we'll rock around the region, get you caught up on some local news, and then we'll break down the east region, which I was busy finishing up as you listen to Coach Huggins, which is part of the reason why I played that extended clip in the first place. Anyway, stick around. Hour number two. Just being honest. Hour number two around the corner. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio.
0: This is the Morning Rush.
1: As I mentioned earlier, we're going to break down the East region. Of this year's NCAA tournament. And you can get involved on uh, the breaking down of said region. Hit me up on Twitter at ESPN Morning Rush or at Rush Tony C. That's the letter C, not the word. Our Facebook page at Cumberland's ESPN Radio. Check out those pages, like them, follow them, and anytime you want, drop me a line. Got a question? an opinion, a comment, or you just want to say, what's up? You can do so on those three pages. Also, Rushline is open, 301-759-2628. Your chance to dial and dance. Shamon. 301-759-2628. And our podcast page on the free Podbean app where we upload every show every day. We take out all the commercials. We cut it up. We slice it up. We clean it up. And we put it right there for you to listen to. If you missed the first hour of the show, we talked a lot of NFL free agency. Washington making another solid signing. We heard from Mountaineer head coach Bob Huggins in the last segment of last hour. So if you missed it, it'll all be right there later on today. As is every other show we've ever done here for the last, what is it now? year and a half, I guess, something like that, I don't know. All right, uh, before we get into the NCAA tournament and the East region, uh, let's rock around the region.
0: I want to rock right now.
1: And we start with girls' high school basketball, where Marie Perdue was at it again for Frankfurt. 30 points to lead the Falcons to a 66-38 win over Preston in short gap. I just realized she almost outscored the entire Preston team. She had 30, they had 38. Haley Smith had 18 points and 7 assists for FHS. Elsewhere, Jefferson had very little trouble with Hedgesville, uh, 57-14. On the boys' side, uh, Jefferson completed the Hedgesville sweep, 67-48. Martinsburg blew out Spring Mills, uh, 64-26. And it was Musselman, 53, Washington, 40. The Petersburg at Berkeley Springs game, Uh, was postponed. Tonight in boys' action, Frankfurt travels to take on Preston. Uh, That game was not on the original schedule. That is a kind of a replacement game since Frankfurt, well, actually both teams lost games this week because of, you know, COVID. Uh, Petersburg is scheduled to host Tucker County. Hampshire is at Trinity. Pendleton County is at Harmon. Uh, The Moorfield-East Hardy game at E.H. postponed, the girls' game between those two schools also uh, postponed. In other girls' scheduled action, Union is at Pendleton County, Hedgesville is hosting Hampshire, and Tucker County is hosting uh, Philip Barber. And as we've all been aware of for the past several months, uh, all of those schedules subject to change. In local college hoops, DeMonte Brown came off the bench to score a game-high 20 points To lead Garrett College over Potomac State, 89-73 in Kaiser, Malik Whitaker had 17 points for the Lakers, who, oh by the way, moved up to number 8 in this week's NJCAA Division II poll. In the NBA last night, the Wizards and Kings went down to the wire in D.C.
0: You're listening to...
1: That is not the right button. You're listening to The Morning Rush, here on Cumberland's ESPN Radio. And it serves me right. That's what I get for putting two uh, keys side by side, and and they're both red. So that's my fault. So let's start that over again, shall we? Caller, hold on. In the NBA last night, the Wizards and Kings went down to the wire
2: in D.C. With three seconds, stops, fires, he! Got the bucket, seven-tenths of a second to go. A 20-footer on the left wing from De'Aaron Fox. It may be enough. It gives the Kings a two-point lead at
1: 121-119. It was enough. The call on KHTK Sacramento edged Washington, 121-119. Russell Westbrook, his 12th triple-dub of the season for the Wiz, 26 points, 14 boards, 10 assists. Uh, Washington now 0-5 since the All-Star break. Major League Baseball spring training action from yesterday. The Orioles beat the Braves 5-2. Austin Hayes went 3-for-3 three three with a two-run double for the O's. Pirates lost to the Rays 10-9. Brian Reynolds and Colin Moran homeward for the Bucks. Nationals were off yesterday. They take on the Mets today at 1-10. Bucs and O's uh, both have a day off. And on the ice tonight, the Penguins uh, take on the Devils for the first time this season uh, when they hook up in New Jersey. And that is your Rock Around the Region, uh, one final time today, brought to you by the Caparali Group. All right, let's go to the rush line now before we get to uh, NCAA hoops. 301-759-2628, you're on the air. Who's this?
0: Hey, Tony, this is James.
1: What's up?
4: Hey, I got a quick doll and dance here. All
1: right.
4: Interesting girls basketball game in West Virginia high school last night. Williamstown beat Magnolia 71-54. Magnolia's leading scorer, Maddie Winters, had 50. Jeez. She had 50 of their
5: 54.
1: <laughs> got no help from the teammates. No.
5: <laughs> That's all I got. Just thought it was an interesting stat.
1: All right. Well, thanks for checking in, James.
0: All right. Later right. on,
1: Have a good one. 301 759 50 of the 54. Drop half a hundo, and they still lost. So there you go. It's a good effort. I'm not saying it's not. But where's the rest of the team at? My goodness. It's a good accomplishment. It's hard to score 50 points in any game, high school, college, NBA. You put up a 50-burger, but the rest of the team scores four. Just saying. Other players may need to uh, pick up the slack there. For the Magnolia Girls team. All right. So NCAA tournament kicks off, well, technically tonight with the four four games. And we have been breaking down the NCAA tournament region by region. We have two regions down, two to go. All right. And we've already gone over the west and the south regions. If you missed any of those, check them out on our podcast page on the Podbean app. And I have Iowa coming out of the West, not Gonzaga, Iowa. And I have Baylor out of the South, which we went over yesterday. Today, we are breaking down the East region with top-seeded Michigan taking on either Mount St. Mary's or Texas Southern. And they will play in one of the first four games this evening. And, by the way, programming note. We'll have complete coverage of those four games with Westwood one today beginning at five o'clock. Now, Michigan, twenty-and-four overall, fourteen and three in the Big Ten this season. Mount St. Mary's, twelve and ten overall, nine and seven in the Northeast Conference. Texas Southern was sixteen and eight overall, ten and three in the SWAC, which they won as the third seed to get the automatic bid. Now, let's just be honest here. Whoever wins the game between the Mount and Texas Southern, it won't matter. Because Michigan, they're winning this game either way. Yes, they dealt, you know, they were dealt a severe blow when forward Isaiah Livers was lost with a stress fracture in his right foot. But they still have Big Ten freshman of the year Hunter Dickinson, the product. Michigan will have no problem. No problem. Moving on to the round of thirty two. For the record, I'll take Texas Southern in tonight's game to beat the mount. In the eight nine game in the East Region, LSU out of the SEC against A10 champ Saint Bonaventure. LSU, eighteen and nine overall this season, eleven and six in the SEC. St. Bonnie's sixteen and four overall, eleven and four in the Atlantic 10. This year, LSU reached double figures in SEC wins for the third straight year. Something it hadn't done, and we're going back a ways here, hadn't done since the Shaquille O'Neal, Chris Jackson days in the late 80s, early 90s. One player to look out for, LSU guard Cameron Thomas, fourth in the nation at 23.1 points a game, And he was the first freshman to lead the SEC in scoring since, wait for it, Chris Jackson. LSU, eighth in the country this year, averaging 82.7 points a game. However, they ranked 280th in points allowed at 75.4. So anytime LSU plays, you can expect a track meet. They score 82, they give up 75. St. Bonaventure, not a very deep team, which is why all five starters average in double figures because they log a ton of minutes. They have a 6'10 junior forward. I'm going to butcher his name. I apologize. Osin. Osini? Is that how you pronounce that? osini Osinney? Something like that. Anyway, 6'10 junior forward, the 8'10 defensive player of the year, averaging almost three block shots per game. I like LSU's ability to put up points in bunches. Yes, the defense is suspect, but St. Bonnie's lack of depth is going to hurt him. I like LSU to advance to face Michigan. It should be a great game, by the way, in the second round. A very interesting matchup in the 5 12 game as number five Colorado takes on number 12 Georgetown. Again, we love the 5 12 upsets in the tournament, right? We pick them all the time. And a lot of people kind of leaning towards the Hoyas in this one after they made that run uh through the Big East tournament. Despite being just 13 and 12 overall. I mean, look, they had a losing record in the Big East. They were 7 and 9 this year before that that tournament run. Colorado 22 and 8 overall, 14 and 6 in the Pac-12. Buffalo's have one of the best point guards in the entire country in McKinley Wright, who not a lot of people on this side of the country you know, has heard about. Wright averaged 15.3 points, 4.3 rebounds, and nearly six assists a game. He is the first Pac-12 player ever to record 1,700 points, 600 assists, and 600 rebounds. First one ever. That's how good he is. As we mentioned, G-Town kind of heading into this tournament on a roll after winning the Big East. Javon Blair leads the Hoyas at 15.8 points a game. And let's be real here. Georgetown caught kind of a break in the Big East tournament when they had to face a shorthanded, injured Villanova team. If Nova was at full strength, we're not even talking about Georgetown right now. Being in the Big Dance because they would have lost. They would they wouldn't have beaten Villanova at full strength in the Big East tournament. So they caught a break. They still won the tournament. Congratulations. Automatic bid. They're in, but not for long. I like Colorado uh, to win the five twelve game and move on. Should the Buffaloes advance or the Hoyas or whoever, they're going to face the winner of the four thirteen game, Florida State and UNC Greensboro. Seminoles sixteen and six overall. in the ACC. And they lost to Georgia Tech in the ACC title game. UNCG, not too shabby. 21-8 overall. 13-5 in the Southern Conference. The Spartans, they do it with defense. They held opponents to 41.4% shooting this season. Point guard Isaiah Miller, two-time Southern Conference Player of the Year and three-time SoCon Defensive Player of the Year. He averages 19.3 points and three steals a game. He does it all. He does it all. He's one of those guys who you got to watch out for. FSU, they're a deep team. Scotty Barnes averages 10 points off the bench. This game, is. I think it's going to be tougher than people think. I hear a lot of folks say that Florida State, as a four seed, could be one of those, you know, sneaky sleeper teams although it's kind of hard to be a sleeper as a four-seed. They did pretty well this year in a a down ACC kind of year. But I think this is going to be a tough game. I I like UNCG. I like Isaiah Miller. I love Isaiah Miller. It's going to be tough, but I think Florida State will come out on top, which would make for a really good, if I'm right, which, let's face it, I'm not going to be all the time. (laughs) It's not the first time somebody said that. That would make for a great Colorado-Florida State game in the second round. So look at the top half of the bracket, or the region, I should say. In the east, I got Michigan. Moving on, LSU, they'll play each other in the second round. And Colorado and Florida State. When we come back after this break, we got some news and weather coming up. We'll look at the bottom half of that region, which includes, oh, by the way, Maryland. Maryland. Do I have them beating UConn? Or the other way around? Stick around to find out. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio.
0: This is the morning rush.
1: Rush Line is open 301-759-2628 as we continue to uh, break down the east region of the NCAA tournament. Before we get back to that, because last segment we broke down the top half of the region, coming up here the bottom half, obviously. I was uh scrolling through Twitter as I usually do during the break to see if anything, you know, any headlines pop up, and I just happened to come across a couple things here. This one from the uh, Petersburg High School uh, Twitter page. Uh, The change in plans, boys varsity basketball versus Tucker County 545 tonight. And it's senior night. Only parents, siblings, grandparents may attend. And it says here, live stream information coming soon. So that uh, Petersburg-Tucker County game, boys, tonight 545 senior night in Petersburg. And I also noticed this. I follow the Jefferson basketball uh, Twitter page because, I, you know, I like to try to keep scores, updated on the scores, you know. I know Jefferson's a little bit down the road, but it's still in the region. And we talk about Jefferson and Musselman and Martinsburg and Hedgesville and Spring Mills, right? And so Jefferson uh, beat Hedgesville last night. And they give, you know, some point scores and whatnot. And then they gave the uh, JV score. And the Jefferson JVs beat Hedgesville 63-42. And the Jefferson JVs were led by one of the greatest names around, Adonis Troxel. Had 22 points for the Jefferson JVs. Adonis Troxel. That's a fantastic name. It sounds like a professional wrestler, <laughs> Does it doesn't. Oh, God. That's Adonis Troxel's music. Love that name. Adonis Troxel, Either that or it's a soap opera character, one of the two. Dr. Adonis Troxel. And so are the days of our lives, or something like that. All right, uh, back to the NCAA tournament, breaking down the East region today, bottom half of the bracket. Number six, BYU, will face the eleven seed, which will be the winner of tonight's Michigan State-UCLA game. And this one's tough to pick because if UCLA wins tonight, I'm taking BYU to advance. If Michigan State wins, I'm taking Michigan State to beat BYU. So let's start there before we move on to the first round. I uh, am not a betting man, as far as you know. If I was... I'm not betting against Michigan State and Tom Izzo in the opening game. I'm just not. Spartans won five of their last seven games down the stretch. Three of those wins against top five teams. So they're one of those dangerous tournament teams. Any Tom Izzo team is dangerous. But they can beat anybody on any given day. UCLA, they kind of stumbled down the stretch. They lost three of their last four games. to finish fourth. I'm sorry, they lost their last three games to finish fourth in the Pac-12. And they lost their star guard, Chris Smith, to an ACL injury in December. I think Michigan State wins tonight, and then they'll beat BYU on Saturday. And look, no disrespect to BYU, they had a solid season, 20-6 and overall, 10-3 in the rather weak West Coast Conference. They did give Gonzaga a bit of a fit in the uh, WCC tournament. But I think they're overseeded at number 6. I, I thought they should have been lower than that. And I think Michigan State is going to prove that. And they're going to win tonight, they'll beat UCLA, and then they'll beat BYU. In the 3-14 game, third-seeded Texas will take on number 14 Abilene Christian. Uh, Texas was 19-7 overall this season, 11-6. In the Big 12, Abilene Christian, the Wildcats, 23 and 4 overall, 13 and 2 in the Southland Conference. They won 12 of their last 13 games. They are first in the country, forcing 20 and a half turnovers per game. Now, good luck forcing 20 turnovers against a Texas team that is just guard heavy. Longhorns, you've been paying attention. Uh, they're coming off the school's first Big 12 tournament title, and they're led by their three headed guard monster of Andrew Jones, Courtney Ramey, and Matt Coleman. Mountaineer fans, you'll know those names, especially Andrew Jones. Combined, they average 40 and a half points a game. Abilene could give them a little bit of trouble, a little bit, maybe early on but i think texas will move on again texas one of those teams they're a three seed could be extremely dangerous in this tournament and they and they'll beat abilene christian and move on in the 7-10 game a game we'll go into more in depth tomorrow the 7 seed yukon will face number 10 maryland both teams receiving at large bids UConn five or not five? That would be impressive. Fifteen and seven overall, eleven and six in the Big East. Maryland barely got in to the field of sixty-eight this year. Sixteen and thirteen overall, nine and eleven in the Big Ten. And the Terps, much like Michigan State, proved that they're good enough to beat anyone. They beat Wisconsin. They beat Purdue. They beat Illinois but they can also lose to anyone. <laughs> I mean, they lost to Northwestern this year, and they were swept by Penn State. And I know it's a cliche, but if it wasn't true, it wouldn't be a cliche. Uh, they're a team. It all depends on what team shows up. Defense, definitely the key for Maryland, especially down the stretch. Big reason why they got into the tournament over their last nine games. They allowed more than 60 points just twice. This game... Like a lot of 7-10 games, kind of a snooze fest. Unless, of course, you're either a UConn or a Maryland fan. Most 7-10 games, it was the one we talked about yesterday? Was it, uh, let me look, oh, I got the sheet right here, hold on. I said sheet right here. What was yesterday? Oh, Florida and Virginia Tech. Oh, brutal. Absolutely brutal. Most 7-10 games are. So unless you're a UConn fan or a Maryland fan, I mean, really. I can't get really excited about that game. Because, let's, let's be real, neither team is getting by the second round. But, since I have to pick the game, I'll take the Terps. I think the good Terps team shows up and beats UConn to move on. And the final game of the region. Number two, Alabama, who certainly played well enough to be a number 1 seed, the SEC regular season and tournament champs. Will take on number 15 Iona and their new head coach Rick Patino. Alabama 24 and 6 overall this season, 16 and 2 in the SEC. Uh, Iona only played 17 games this year. They were 12 and 5 overall, 6 and 3 in the Mid-Atlantic Athletic Conference. And they were picked to finish ninth in the MAC this season. And they upset top seeded Siena in the MAC quarterfinals. This, by the way, the fifth team that Patino has taken to the NCAA tournament, which ties a record. He took three of the previous four to the final four. But this won't be another one. <laughs> Alabama is just too good. Number one in the country, in defensive efficiency. I don't know what that is, but it sounds good. And offensively, it's either layup or a three-pointer. Right, That's the new philosophy, head coach Nate Oates. You're not going to see a whole lot of mid-range jumpers in Alabama plays. It's either going to be a layup or it's going to be a three-pointer. They had eight different players who had 48 or more three-point attempts this season. Eight different players tried at least 48 threes. The the Tide, no pun intended here, the Tide, actually it may be intended, the Tide is going to roll in the opener. So, moving on, breaking down the rest of the East region here. In the round of 32, we got Michigan against LSU, Colorado versus Florida State, Michigan State after beating UCLA and then BYU against Texas. Boy, I tell you what, name recognition alone, that game, Michigan State-Texas. And then uh, Maryland and Alabama. Moving on from there, as we've done with the previous regions, I like Michigan to barely, barely get by LSU. I'll sit here right now and I'll tell you, I would not be overly surprised with the injury to uh, Livers for Michigan. Would not be surprised if we're sitting here talking about LSU winning that game, but I still like Michigan. They they still have enough. They're still good enough to beat LSU and move on. I like, believe it or not, I said whenever we were talking about you know when all the teams were announced earlier in the week, I thought Colorado was underseeded as a five seed. I thought they were good enough to be a four. And again, being in the Pac-12 out in the West Coast, sometimes teams don't get you know a lot of East Coast love. I like Colorado to beat Florida State. Again, it's another one. It's it's a four or five matchup, so it can go either way. But I think a lot of people are going to take Florida State because they're in the ACC. Oh, it's Colorado, you know, out there in the Pac-12 West Coast again. There's an East Coast bias. A lot of people look at West Coast teams as being soft for whatever reason. And, you know, they talk about the NCAA tournament all the time being about guards. You got to have good guard play when you're in the big dance. And we already talked about Colorado and their point guard, McKinley Wright, who may be the best point guard in the entire tournament. So I like the Buffaloes. The buff. The buffs to knock off FSU in the next round. I like Texas to beat Michigan State. And I like, uh, sorry, Maryland, but your time is up. Alabama's going to roll going to roll either one, UConn or Maryland. But Bama's going to roll the Terps and move on. So now we're into the East Region semifinals. Michigan, Colorado, Texas, Alabama. I want to pick against Michigan here. I really do. Because I think that liver's injury is going to catch up to them eventually. But I I can't. Not right now. Not right now. So I'll take Michigan over Colorado in that one region semifinal. In the other one, I'll take Alabama to beat Texas. Now again, if we're sitting here next week or a week after or whenever talking about Texas beating Bama, I'm not going to be that shocked. Because, as I just mentioned, Guard play. Texas has the guard play. So does Bama. But they (laughs) Look, all it takes is for Bama to have one off night from the three-point line. That's all it takes. As good as they were this year, if their threes aren't falling or you're playing against a team who defends a three well, they're going to have trouble. That's all they do this year. Layups and threes, layups and threes, layups and threes. But I like Bama to move on. So our East Region Final, this according to me and nobody else, Take it for what it's worth. I like Alabama to beat Michigan. Now, that's where the liver's injury, because by the time, I don't know, is he out for the rest of the year? I'll have to double-check that. I know there's a stress fracture in his right foot. I don't know how quickly those th- things heal. If he can come back, I don't know if he's done for the season. Let me put it to you this way. Even if he's back, I think Alabama wins the game. How about that? So we'll cover all bases. I like Alabama, the two-seed, to come out of the East region. Beating Michigan in the region finals. So that's three of the four we have in the book. We have Iowa and Alabama. We'll meet in the final four on that left side of the bracket. We have Baylor and then a question mark. And tomorrow we will break down the Midwest region. I say the Midwest for last because the Mountaineers are playing in that region. No offense to Maryland, but I had to pick one of the two. And I think West Virginia has a much better chance to make a deep run in the tournament than Maryland. I got Maryland out in the second round. If they even get past the first round. So we'll break down the Midwest tomorrow. We'll get deeper into the Maryland game tomorrow as well. A little deeper preview to give them their, you know, they're just due. And we'll also get deeper into the West Virginia game as well. So there you go. 3 of the 4 regions in the books. Iowa, Alabama, and Baylor. Who will be the fourth one? Well, again, we'll talk about it uh tomorrow. All right, one final break. When we come back, we'll check out the player who delivered and we'll wrap things up. Stick around. 102.1 FM AM 12:30 Cumberlands. ESPN Radio.
0: is the morning rush.
1: Just got done breaking down the East region of the NCAA tournament. Three of four in the books. We got Bama, the two seed, coming out of the East. And again, tomorrow, the Midwest. And we said earlier in the show that yesterday, uh, NCAA Senior VP of Basketball, Dan Gavitt, said that all 68 teams were good to go for the tournament. Of course, the deadline was uh Tuesday evening. So now, if any team can play for COVID issues, it's a forfeit. And their opponent moves on. And while every player, I'm sorry, every team is a go, unfortunately, not every player is a go. Oklahoma guard Davion Harmon will miss uh, the Sooners' first two games of the tourney after he tested positive. For COVID-19. Harmon is a 6'2 sophomore. Started 23 of 25 games for OU. Second leading scorer. Averaging 13 points a game. Shot 33% from three-point range. So Harmon is out for at least. Who's Oklahoma have uh, in the, uh, the, first, the first game here? Let me see if I can find him here. Where are they at? I don't even know what region they're in. Now they're the eight seed. That's going to be tough. They play Missouri on Saturday. So Oklahoma Missouri the eight, nine game on Saturday. So Oklahoma has to do it without their second leading score. Here is uh, Oklahoma coach, uh, Lon Kruger
5: players. You know, have this as a goal to play in the NCAA tournament. And it is so sad. And, uh, for Davion, you know, just uh, heartbroken that he's not going to have that opportunity this first weekend. So, uh, He challenged our guys to go win a couple, I guess, so we can get back for the second weekend. But uh, a lot of work ahead for that, for sure. But, uh, yeah, just just disappointed for Davion that that he won't be with us.
1: And See, that's the kicker. He's out for the first two games. Chances are they're not going to survive past two games. They could get past Missouri, but then they have to play Gonzaga in the second round. And I don't see Oklahoma beating Gonzaga. So, unfortunately, that young man's season is, is more than like anything can happen. Don't get me wrong. But it's more than likely over. Also, Georgia Tech star Moses Wright, the ACC Player of the Year, will miss the first two games of the tournament. This according to a source uh, for ESPN. He will also, see, now they're not not saying it's a positive test, though. The story kind of leaves that out. All it says is Georgia Tech star Moses Wright will miss the Yellow Jackets' first round game against Loyola Chicago. Wright also likely will be out if Tech beats Chicago and advances to face either Illinois or Drexel. This is according to sources. Doesn't say anything about a positive test. So I don't know. Maybe it's an injury. But still, that's a major blow to Georgia Tech, who, you know, won the ACC title. They still have the Alvarado kid who's, who's really good, but that's you know, ACC player of the year. And Loyola Chicago is no joke. That's the eight nine game in the Midwest region. We'll go over tomorrow. So here you have two teams, Oklahoma and Georgia Tech, losing two pretty key players to start the tournament. Yeah. Something to keep an eye on when you're picking your brackets. When you're picking your brackets this year, you better pay attention to who who's in the lineup and who isn't. Because things are going to be changing uh, rather rapidly. All right, before we get out of here today, let us uh, take a look at the player who delivered. Brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and Supply Yard. How about this guy right here? Panarin across the crest of center ice, brings it into the zone, finds a breaking Zibanejad, who scores!
4: Touchdown, Rangers! They're up 7-0. Mika Zabanajad with his second of
1: the night. I love that call. The call on the MSG radio network Mika Sabanajad would tack on another goal for the hat trick, and he also had three assists, all in one period, as the Rangers blew out the Flyers 9-0 at MSG. Sabanajad scored three straight goals in a span of 10 minutes and 10 seconds in a seven-goal second period for New York. It was the fifth Hattie of his career, and he became just the second player in NHL history to record six points in the same period. Brian Trottier did it for the Islanders against the Rangers in 1978. So the Rangers' Mika Zibanejad, our player who delivered last night, brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and Supply Yard. Before we get out of here, I want to touch on this real quick. Seems as if the Deshaun Watson saga in Houston has gotten a bit messier. If uh, you pay attention last night, news broke that there are now two civil lawsuits that have been filed against Deshaun Watson, alleging inappropriate conduct during massages on two separate occasions by two separate uh, plaintiffs. First lawsuit was filed Tuesday night which alleges inappropriate conduct in a massage therapist's home in Houston in March 2020. The second lawsuit was filed on Wednesday, yesterday, alleges inappropriate conduct in August of 2020. The lawsuits were filed by Houston lawyer Tony Busby, who says there are six total cases against Watson, although only two lawsuits have been filed so far.
2: With more on this situation, here's Adam Schefter. Listen, I think everybody's paying attention to it, Steve, and there's serious charges, and I think everybody wants some answers, and the Texans themselves said they will have no further comment until there's more information. I think everybody wants more information, but I don't believe as it currently stands that it dampens the enthusiasm around the league to go land Deshaun Watson. I spoke to one team tonight that could... Considered to be in the Deshaun Watson market. And while they're curious about the charges and they would like more information, they remain interested in Deshaun Watson. And I don't expect that to change. He still is an elite talent. This is a serious issue. There are significant questions, but it doesn't change the fact that he's one of the best players in all of football. And before teams are dissuaded from being interested in him, they'd have to hear something that would have to change their minds here.
1: Now, Watson. Responded on Twitter after the uh, the first filing was announced on Tuesday. Saying that he rejected a, a baseless six-figure settlement demand. And that this is about clearing his name. And he looks forward to doing just that. Uh, and Watson said, quote, I've never treated any woman with anything. Other than the utmost respect, end quote. So. I don't quite agree with what Schefter said right there. That this isn't going to dampen the demand for Deshaun Watson. And you don't want to comment on it because you don't know. Right now, these are allegations. These are lawsuits filed. We have no idea if what he's being accused of doing actually happened. No clue. That's why it's always, you know, it's always best to just sit and kind of wait things out, let more information come out, because as soon you, as you can't just start throwing accusations, you can't just start, you know, slinging arrows when this kind of stuff comes out. But I'd have to think that teams who are interested in Deshaun Watson will have to be a little wary, just a little bit, because the last thing that they want to do is, you know, mortgage the future, trade away just tons of picks and players for Deshaun Watson, and then have these accusations become true. Again, not saying they are, but you still have to think that that's now, that seed has been planted in the back of other teams' mind, that maybe they won't be, maybe the asking price for Deshaun Watson is going to drop a little bit because there is right now there's uncertainty. Right? There's uncertainty with Deshaun Watson. These accusations and allegations could prove to be completely 100% false. But right now... They have planted that seed of doubt in other teams. I had to, to think the asking price has gone down a little bit because now, just based on this just early information, there's, there's an unknown factor, right? Again, wait and see how it plays out. All right, show's over. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your day. Tomorrow, Friday, baby! See you back then. 7 a.m. sharp. This is the Morning Rush. I am Tony C. And I am done. See ya!